Welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Carey. And our guest for the show today is Davey Blackburn. Davey, welcome. It's great to have you today. Thank you, Michael. It's an honor to be here. I love what you and Kristen are doing in the ministry that you guys have. So appreciate the, the ask. Yeah, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I know you were a pastor. Uh, you started Nothing is Wasted Ministries. You have a book uh, potentially coming out in September under that same name. For those uh, folks that are not real familiar with your story, could you fill in the gaps? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and then went to undergrad in South Carolina. Uh, at a small s- school called Southern Wesleyan University. So if those who are around the Midwest area, if you're familiar with in- Indiana Wesleyan University, it's a sister school of Indiana Wesleyan. Played uh, baseball there on scholarship. And while I was there, I met a guy on the athlete hall named Gavin. And I was, to be honest with you, a little confused as to why he was on the athlete hall because he was a golfer. <clears throat> no offense, but uh, we met and we became really great friends. And uh, we used to joke around that we needed to meet two girls who were best friends so that we could just hang out with each other all the time while we dated them. And uh, he wound up after our freshman year dating a girl he had dated in high school, came back our sophomore after freshman summer, sophomore year and said, Hey man, I don't know why I didn't think about this, but I need to introduce you to uh, my girlfriend's sister. She would be perfect for you. And uh, so he's like, why don't you come up with me over fall break to Elkhart, Indiana. And if you're familiar with Elkhart, you know, there's not a whole lot there except for, um, cornfields and RVs. <laughs> and so I was like, what do we, what's an Elkhart? He's like, well, there's this girl there. You would love her. You got to meet her. So I went with him over fall break to Elkhart and, and met this girl. We went to a, a concert and then afterwards went to um, Steak and Shake where every great relationship starts in the Midwest. Right. <laughs> and we were, we yes. were having milkshakes and uh, she had a, a strawberry milkshake, I had a chocolate milkshake. And I, decided to kind of cut a joke to break the ice. And she laughed and she shot milkshake out of her nose. (laughs) No way. And I I looked at her across the table at Steak and Shake and I was like, that's going to be my wife right there. That's, and I just fell hard and fast for her. And we started a long distance dating relationship. And then we both graduated college and uh, got married. We actually had a double wedding with Gavin and, and then, you know, Amanda was the girl that I, that I met and was dating her sister, Amber. So a whole double wedding, a big shindig in Elkhart at their dad's church. Her dad's a pastor there. And um, it was just really cool. We're starting life out, pursuing the Lord. Uh, went on staff at a, a church in South Carolina. And we were there for about three years as youth pastors and loved it. I mean, thought that we were going to be there for the rest of our lives. Just watching teenagers week after week give their lives to the Lord. And God used that time in us to really birth a heart for the local church and also birth a heart for people who are far from God, people who are hurting and broken and bringing them into relationship with Jesus. And so after about three or four years of that, the, the knuckles of God began knocking on our heart and just calling us to, to move and plant a church. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this where you are praying against the will of God, but we were <laughs> absolutely <laughs> praying against it for about eight months. Like, we don't want to know. That's like, no, we're not going to plant a church. We, we love where we're at, what we're doing. But God usually gets his, his way when it comes to that. And so we finally, November 11th, 2011, answered the call to go and move to um, Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, we, uh, we got on the ground there to start a church. And we didn't really know anybody didn't know what this whole whole thing entailed. And so we just knew that, you know, kind of our philosophy was like, Lord, you just open up doors and we'll walk through them. We're going to, we're going to just, um, 
we're going to embrace what you place in front of us every step of the way. It's kind of what you have to, there was no strategy involved, nothing like that. So we just said yes to the things that God began putting in our, in our way. And so we also knew that we wanted to make a statement that we were here planted in Indianapolis. This was going to be our, this, this was going to be our home. We were going to have roots here. And so we didn't want to rent. We decided to buy a house. So we got a realtor uh, as soon as we got on the ground and um, started looking at houses. And the first house we looked at was a house called uh, at 2812 Sunnyfield Court. And um, we look around the house. Amanda kind of goes around to all the rooms and she comes back all bright eyed. And she's like, hey, this is our house. This is our house. I know it. And I was like, OK, hold on. I've watched Chip and Joanna. Um, you don't buy the first house that you look at. So right. we, uh, we kind of look around at a bunch of different areas, didn't know where the good schools were, or safe neighborhoods were. So we were just, you know, really scoping things out. And finally, after about 20 other houses that we looked at, we came back to 2812 Sunnyfield Court. And uh, at that point, Michael, Amanda gave me that look that every husband has gotten at some point, the look that says, you should have listened to me the first time. It would have saved us a lot of time, you know, <laughs> that look. And so we put an offer on the house. And it's so cool what happened, how the Lord worked, because we put a lowball offer on the house. Being church planters, we had no idea where, you know, our revenue was going to come from, income. And, you know, I mean, you know this, you don't get into ministry for the money, right? There's like a couple levels of broke. There's like, you know, uh, broke, college student broke, and then like, ministry broke, you know? So we just said, Lord, you've got to show us, like, if we're supposed to buy this house, you've got to provide, what's the number that you want us? And so we put this offer on, it was low ball. They laughed us off the negotiating table. They said, we've turned down three other offers much higher than this. You're going to have to come back with a much better offer. So we went back to Amanda's grandmother's house. She, that's where we were staying in Brownsburg. And, and she told us this phrase that it stuck with me. And I'm so glad she said this to us now given and, and, and we'll kind of help our help your listeners understand why here in a little bit. But she said this phrase, she said, faith is living without scheming. And we knew that night we, we could not manipulate the process. We needed to just walk and honor God with what he had called us to, uh, to do and walk in obedience and not try to finagle our way into this house that we wanted. So we went back the next day to our realtor. We said, Hey, uh, I know this sounds crazy, but will you put the same offer down? The same one that just got rejected. He goes, okay. <laughs> uh, and not a they, dollar more, not a dollar less. Nothing. Same exact, same offer. exact offer. And mm -hmm. uh, they accepted the offer. And that, that became our house, 2812 Sunnyfield Court. Um, and we, we, that house had so many great memories. We started our church in that house. We had, you know, four people in a living room the first night. And I, I preached a message, the best you can preach to four people. I preached a message called invite. <laughs> we had four people. And the very next week we had four people show up. So I had to scrap the message I had planned and preached another message called invite harder, you know, but it was just so cool to see how God began to grow it. You know, I mean, we, we started our kids ministry back in the master bedroom and put veggie tails on for the kids back there. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times we crawled onto the sheets and we had goldfish cracker crumbs in our sheets at night and stuff just from that. And one night we had a, a pregnant woman come in. We're like, Hey, you count as two. Come on. You know, you're welcome any day. Right? Oh, there you go. Kind of seeing this growth happen. And, uh, we Skyped in Amanda's sister and brother-in-law from Elkhart one night. We called ourselves a multi-site church. You know, I mean, just anything you can do is like, okay, we're growing. This is, this thing's moving. But the reality is it was difficult. It was really tough to get a church off the ground. And that home became a safe haven for us. It became a ministry haven for us. We dedicated that home to ministry, you know, brought Weston home. We had Weston in 2014, um, brought him home from the hospital, began setting up life and began setting up family. But 
then on November 10th, 2015, I came home early from, from the gym. I went out to the gym early and came home. I was actually supposed to shower at the gym and just go straight to a coffee shop, but I failed to get up early enough to pack my bag and uh, came home to shower. And I, I walked into, um, walked through the front door and walked into my absolute worst nightmare. And um, when I walked in, Amanda was lying face down on our living room floor in a pool of blood. And um, we were we were pregnant with our second. She was 13 weeks along. I had just found out maybe two weeks earlier. She had just told me about it. And um, so we were, you know, in this place where we're excited about, you know, expanding our family and the possibilities of all of that. And, and so I thought that something had gone horrifically wrong with the pregnancy. You know, there was no context for anything else other than walking in and seeing her and thinking, oh my gosh, like what, what happened? Did she pass out? Did she, what, you know, did she cut herself? There was a, a, a decorative ladder that had fallen next to her. And so I thought maybe the ladder fell on her head. And so, so my, my, my processing, Michael, was if we just get her to the hospital, she's going to be okay. Like this can't be that severe. She was, um, she was still breathing very, very laboriously, but she was unconscious. And so um, I, I rushed to her side and I remember, you know, kind of flipping her over onto her back and the breathing became a lot more laborious. And so I panicked and flipped her back over and realized that this was pretty severe. And so um, I called the paramedics and, uh, you know, told them I need you to get here as fast as you possibly can. And I sat there with her. And in those moments right there, when you're completely out of control, um, in a in a traumatic experience like that, it, it it whether your listeners have experienced something like that or not, and I, I need you to know it, it's like fast motion and slow motion all at the same time. Like your senses are very acute to things, and yet there's a lot of there's a lot that just gets blocked out because there's kind of a tunnel vision that takes place. And so while I'm sitting there with her, uh, for by the way, what felt like three hours waiting on the paramedics, I found out later it was only three minutes. While I'm sitting there with her and just over and over, Jesus, no, Jesus, no, this can't be happening. Come on, stay with me, babe. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. We're just gonna, come on. You're going to be okay. My, my brain is taking these snapshots of things that look really disheveled around the living room, uh, things that uh, didn't make sense to me. And there were credit cards strewn out all over the floor. There was a lamp that had fallen. Um, and it just, I'm, I couldn't piece it together. And I could hear while I was sitting with her, I could hear Weston cooing in his crib upstairs. So I had no reason to believe that there was anybody that had broken into the house. It seemed like everything else was fine except for my wife right here. And Paramedics, was, he was two, I think, right? Was he, he was 15 months old. Yeah. 15 months. Okay. <clears throat> 15 months old. Mm -hmm. wow. So paramedics got there and we uh, followed them to the hospital. And honestly, I sat in a waiting room and just shook and held West and expected everything. You know, they're going to come in. We're going to be able to see Amanda. They'll get her stabilized. Everything's going to be Okay. And um, the next thing I know, doctors and investigators come in and they tell me that she had three bullet wounds in her, one in her arm, one that had grazed over her back and one that was in the back of her head. And that um, the, the doctors told me that they were going to try to operate if the swelling in the brain would go down, but the prognosis was very grim. And so, you know, Michael, I don't know if it was... Um, uh, shock or, or faith or some weird combination thereof. But I grabbed the doctor's hand and I just began to pray the 
biggest, boldest prayer of healing and faith that I could muster up. And in my mind, I thought, okay, these kinds of things don't happen to people like us. Like we, we've sold out our lives to go follow Jesus on this mission. And there's this deal that God and I had, we're supposed to like, you're supposed to protect me. Cause I'm like putting my family out there all the time. We're sacrificing so much. So like, at least our family is supposed to be intact and safe. It was this unwritten deal, kind of this false expectation I had of God. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, if this is happening, this must mean God is setting us up for a miracle. Hmm. So I was right. saying, okay, God, why don't you just, sure. Okay. We'll use us, but this miracle is going to be exactly the way I want it. You're going to heal Amanda. You're going to spread a revival across the hospital. People who don't trust in you, they're putting their trust in science or medicine or whatever. They're going to see miraculous healing. And, yeah. and this is going to be a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And um, 24 hours later, she was pronounced dead. There was no brain oh, activity. Man. Sorry, and what's so, what's sorry. Wow. so crazy about it, Michael, is that, and some people can look at this and go, does that like, does that mean God is a cruel God? I look at it and say, this shows me that mm-hmm. God is in the details of our story if we open our eyes, but she was pronounced dead November 11th, 2015, four years to the day that we packed a moving van up and moved to Indianapolis to start the church. Mm. I told you it was November 11th, 2011, that we drove from South Carolina to Indianapolis and four years to the day Hmm. she was, uh, she was killed. And so I say that because I, I, I saw that early on as, as the kindness of God to show me that he is in the details of our story and that he is already working out a redemptive narrative in each one of our stories. He's already doing what Romans 8, um, 28 tells us, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. So, um, you know, we can talk about anything you want to talk about within the aftermath of that, the healing of all of that, but, you know, essentially, that's the long story of, of telling, you know, how now we started this ministry called Nothing is Wasted. And there's two reasons we called it that. One is because while we were sitting there waiting in the hospital with Amanda, I put Pandora Radio, uh, Elevation Worship on <clears throat> Pandora Radio on her phone right there on her bedside because I knew that's what she would want to listen to if she was had any kind of conscious activity. And the mm-hmm. first song that came up, you know how Pandora works, it's randomized. You know, you, right. know, you can't choose what is going to, the first song that came up was a song by Elevation Worship called Nothing is Wasted. Wow. And I felt like God just met us in that moment and said, hey, wow. I'm not going to waste this pain. I'm not going to waste it. Uh, just trust me. And so then that same week, what uh, a metaphor came to my mind, the Lord really showed this to me because Amanda had kind of she had started a business around uh, refurbishing furniture, Uh, kind of the old like shabby chic, you know, she'd take this junk off the side of the road and she'd, she'd restore it. And I remember so many times I'd look at her, she'd bring a piece home and I'm like, how in the world are you going to do anything with this? This is trash. This is garbage. (laughs) And she would look at me inevitably every time she'd say, Davey, trust me, give me a little time and I'll turn this into something beautiful. And I felt like that was God's message to us that, that week and has been since is, you know, guys, just trust me, give me mm. a little time because my word says that I make all things beautiful in my time. Mm-hmm. So that's really where the inspiration of nothing is wasted uh, came from. 
And it's, it's a ministry to help people who have walked through trials and tragedies and major life transitions and trauma. And uh, of course, I'm a preacher at heart, so I put it all as T's, you know, <laughs> and, but really helping them to not just recover and heal from it, but to find the renewed sense of purpose that God wants to, to instill within them through this tragedy. Because I think that what the enemy means for evil in our lives, God means to turn around for good. Mm-hmm. Like the greatest jujitsu artist, you know, using the opponent's uh, momentum against the opponent and mm-hmm. turn it around for good. And he wants to infuse in us a, a mission um, that is even, even hotter, it's white hot because mm-hmm. of what we've walked through. Um, and that mission is to help other people. And, uh, and ultimately that brings redemption into our story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is, um, that's a lot to take in. And um, I'm sorry that you had to go through all that. And interesting, you're saying, so the, so the week following her death, these revelations started happening to you, like, right away. Yeah. Am, am I right? And yeah, say, I think, you know, and I don't know if this is the case for everybody, but I have heard this as we interview people who have walked through really difficult things that, um, you know, when you're leaning into the Lord, he will prepare your spirit for things. And so right up to about two weeks or so up to all of this, the the Lord had been preparing our spirit, each of us, me and Amanda, that we were going to walk through something painful. And um, we couldn't put our thumb on it. I don't think we could even be, I I don't think we could have even told you in those two weeks, oh, God's preparing us that we're walking through something painful that we're about to. But there was just this sense that then after everything happened, it began to make sense. It began, we began to put the pieces together and go, oh, God had, you know, well, you know, I now obviously Amanda had passed away, but I could look at some of the thread of stuff in her life that I could see. And this is some of the stuff I lay out, you know, in that book, nothing is wasted of just like, what was God doing even in her? And, and then later I got to read a lot of her journal entries and see some of this process that God had been taking her on over the, the last year to see how God had been preparing her for this, uh, you know, this thing that she was about to step into. And so, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so immediately after, I think, I think God's word is so true in every aspect, but particularly during that season, I felt those, the, the, the words that would say God is near to the brokenhearted, mm-hmm. right. That he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Like mm-hmm. those words became very palpable and, and very true and real to me. And so even in the midst of that absolute despondent sorrow, and if we're honest, the first couple of weeks was just shock. Yeah. God still was ministering yeah. to my spirit and saying, Hey, you know, here's a, I've got something for you here. Just hang on, just mm-hmm. hang on and, and clutch to, to, to my robe, the hem of my robe, and I'll walk you in healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I could see, I mean, just about anybody that would shake their faith to the core to experience something like that and all the questions of why would come up. Why, why didn't you answer that prayer? Why didn't it work out the way that you envisioned it working out? Um, the doctors, you know, coming to faith, the nurses coming to faith, like you said. Um, so yeah. Did you, did you wrestle with that? Like God, what, you know, it didn't turn out the way that you wanted or, uh, and, and the way that you expected and so yeah. on. And it's like, we, we have this um, idea of how things are supposed to work mm-hmm. in life and how God is supposed to work. And this, 
you know, this idea or this, it, it's, it's like, why doesn't it um, happen that way? Why yeah. don't, why don't things turn out uh, good for us in our lives? But it's right. like, you know, interestingly, it's always us that's defining that good, isn't mm, it? It is. Yep. It's so true. And we have a narrow scope of what is good for us. You know, I mean, this seems like a trite illustration, but as a, a dad of a six and a five-year-old, they, my six and five-year-old both, they think they know exactly what's good for them. And they're <laughs> often wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I have to intervene as their father to, to show them, you know, and bring into their life what is really good for them. But yeah, no doubt. I mean, Michael, I ask those questions of why all the time. Um, I think that oftentimes we are, um, as Christians, especially, we're almost intimidated or scared to ask God why, mm. because we think that that's not right, that somehow it makes us have less faith. Mm. Um, I honestly think that the, the asking God why demonstrates more faith than just whitewashing what has happened to you and covering it up with some trite theological statements that you've heard, but mm -hmm. you've not really taken to heart because you've not really ex entered into the depth of those theological statements, right? Cliche statements are there for a reason, <laughs> but, but you have to experience yeah. the same person that pinned those statements or the people that continue to repeat those statements. Most of those people have actually entered into the depth of the meaning of that statement. And so I think we rob ourselves in any kind of grief or loss or tragedy or to not fully experience the emotions that come along with it, to fully lament, as scripture would say. And mm -hmm. part of the lamenting process is to ask God, why? Mm. What, yeah. what is going on? Like, what is happening right now? Why would you allow this to happen? And to use God almost as a punching bag, because he can handle it. Mm -hmm. He can handle right. it. I find it so interesting that like almost the, the, the crux of the Jewish narrative, which is obviously our roots as, as, you know, evangelical Christians, the crux of the Jewish narrative is when Jacob was wrestling with God. You know, God meets him and, and, and Jacob's like, no, I'm not letting go until you, until you give me a blessing, Job. I'm not stopping until you tell me why, what is going on. And, and it's not, it's like, God doesn't condemn that. It, it's almost like he condones it in scripture and says, Hey, ask me why, ask me, continue to enter into this. And what I discovered then is that in my asking of whys, I was looking for results. I was looking for answers. But what God was looking for in that was relationship, was intimacy. Because what I began to realize is that my why questions would never fully and finally satisfy what had happened. I would never fully be able to understand the entirety of the picture that God has, right? Elizabeth Elliot says it this way. I love this. She said, and obviously, if you don't know Elizabeth Elliot's story, you need to go Google it and, and just see her immense tragedy that she walked through. But after walking through tragedy, she said, God gives us everything we would ask for if we knew everything God knows. <laughs> That's deep. That, that'll blow <laughs> yeah. your mind for a second, right? Uh -huh. and, and, and the reality is, is my why questions, they may not get answered on this side of eternity. But the yeah. process of entering into why is really what begins to provide the answer for me. And that is this close relationship, this intimacy with Jesus 
the the God man who, by the way, didn't just stand far off in our suffering, but entered into our suffering, entered into the plight of, of humankind and walked through the greatest suffering and greatest injustice that any human could walk through to demonstrate to us, hey, I'm, I'm with you in this and also defeated death, right? When he raised from the dead to, to demonstrate to us that, that with his spirit, we can overcome any tragedy. And so our, our whys begin to be answered in the person of Jesus, even though they may not give us any kind of like explanation, what Jesus promises is not explanation. He promises restoration. He promises, Hey, listen, this hurts my heart too. There's brokenness, there's fallenness in this world, but I promise I will restore this. I will redeem this. Just again, tuck yourself behind me and follow me through all of this. And so, so my why question began to move from why to what? Meaning God, what are you trying to show me in this? What do you want me to do in this? What do you want me to? And that's when I began to really start kind of um, experiencing some healing was when my was when my wise began to move along the spectrum to what mm, yeah yes that is so true i found that to be true myself and um of course completely different uh story but in the you know with the idea of wrestling with uh, porn addiction and asking god why in my case, it was like, God, take this away. You know, yeah. I'm going to go to sleep tonight and I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. Would you just take this desire to mm. look at this stuff away? Take this desire away. And, and, and then he didn't. And then it's why, you know, yeah. wrestling yeah. with why, but it's not going the way that I want it to go. And in, 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 in this, in this um, story, I do have um, a lot of the information along the years of yeah. why. Well, the reason why is because God does not want us to work that kind of thing out mm. just with him, but with others in relationship. Yep. So, yep. you know, this uh, addiction is definitely something that we, that we um, recover from in community. Yeah. And God would not do that for me or to me, I should say really to me, uh, it, 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 if he would have just rescued me and took it away, uh, it would have robbed me of so much personal growth mm. that I yeah. needed to experience so along the way. So I think there's parallels to many different stories yeah. in that. Although, you know, in comparing, of course, it's just it's different circumstances, but still being robbed, uh, being, being rescued is what we want, but that robs us of the growth that we really need. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And I think that's an important distinction that as you're following Jesus and as you're asking him why, he does give us insight and revelation and understanding about certain aspects of things. We just won't know the fullness of it, you know, until we see him in heaven one day and we're, you know, completely restored. Um, because we see dimly, is what scripture says right now. We see dimly, but one day we will see fully. So we do get some of these little tidbits of revelation that continues to propel us forward and, and fall more in love with him and see more of the character and nature of who he is. And so what that does is that that builds trust. Because there are times with my kids that I have to go, hey, you're not gonna, you're not gonna fully understand this, but I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. And um, and I think that is really what <clears throat> the Lord is desiring of us as we lean into him in these situations is, hey, trust me, I've got a good plan in all of this. And, and, and my, I've got a plan for your healing and redemption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So you mentioned um, something along the way just to turn a corner, and, and um, I wanted to point out the scripture, 2 Corinthians 1, 4, where it's, uh, it says he comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and this is the message version. He says, before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going mm. through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. That's great. The, the message, Second Corinthians one four, and that's um, uh, it's, it. Sounds like that's kind of the scripture that um, yeah. nothing is wasted. Ministries was born yeah. into right. Yeah. And Absolutely. how how did that how did that all come to be? You know that you um, you moved into the ministry. I know you were talking about the song, the yeah. first song uh, that was played on Pandora right uh, there in the hospital. Like, can you take us from there into yeah. starting this ministry and and uh, what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was at first, it was just a mantra, just kind of a theme that we held on to was nothing is wasted, nothing is wasted. So, you know, we would, um, it, it became kind of a, uh, a rallying cry for those of us who were really close to Amanda. And um, then about, and I'm trying to think about where it was in the timeline. I know it was, so it would have been June of 2017. So that would have been a year and a half afterwards. Um, I was still pastoring the church, by the way, I don't think I even said this to the listeners, but what had happened that morning is that three men had broken into my home and they, um, they, they had shot and killed Amanda and, and stolen, um, you know, and trying to steal several things, uh, and trying to get money and stuff. And so, uh, they ended up getting arrested. So they're, you know, on trial and standing trial now, as of this date, they are going to be tried, uh, July, the end of July. So. Uh, you know, fast forward, um, I'm still pastoring the church. It's about June of 2000, May of 2017. Um, and I had, uh, one, just met a girl. And uh, I don't have the time to get into how all of that took place. Uh, we have a podcast episode on the Nothing is Wasted podcast, our two-year anniversary episode. So you could go and search that and we explain the whole story. It takes like an hour. It's a really, really cool story. Yeah. But I had met this girl who had walked through some pain herself. And for mm -hmm. the first time since Amanda passed away, I felt like somebody really understood me. And um, what was really powerful too about this happen chance meeting, I know it's prov very providential. There's nothing that's coincidence is that yeah. this, this girl's stepdad is a chaplain for Marion County prison system. And one of the first conversations that she and I had, she kind of drops this information on me that he had been ministering to and sharing the gospel to the three men who were on trial for killing my wife. Oh, wow. So at this point, I'm like, wow, okay, there, here's this girl that I've been interested in for a couple of months. She's been attending my church, like what, hold on. And then I hear this and I had been praying, God, would you would you bring somebody into my life? If you, if you see it fit to bring me, to bring me another wife, bring somebody in who loves you, Jesus, more than she loves me, hmm. who loves me. Cause that would be nice too. Right. <laughs> who loves my son, Weston can adopt him as her own, who loves Amanda, because I know that this whole tragedy has completely changed and altered the course of my ministry. And I know that this is going to be a part of, you know, me carrying out Amanda's legacy and helping minister to other people is going to be a huge part of our lives. So this person needs to be secure enough yeah. and confident enough to, to be able to do that. Mm, so now I yeah. hear this and I'm like, wow, God is weaving this weird, crazy thing into our story. Well, uh -huh. that around the same time, I began um, 
asking people to come onto a, a podcast with me and just share their stories. Uh, we called it the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And it just started by, you know, honestly, I had been blogging a lot and I, I felt like I couldn't keep up with like my, my inspiration or my musings on the blog. And I couldn't keep up with everybody's questions either. And I felt kind of misunderstood, Michael, to be honest with you. People were going, how's this guy still standing? How's he still pastoring this church? How's he healing through this? Like, I wouldn't be able to, if I had, I can't imagine, which I'll, I'll pause and say, God gives you the grace that you need for the thing that you are facing mm. no matter what. So if the, if you have the Holy spirit inside of you, you don't have to think about, well, if I were in your shoes, Davey, I would never be able to, because if God saw it fit to put you in my shoes, he would give right. you the grace that he's given me. So no matter what you're, I look at everybody's situations. I go, I don't know, man, I don't know if, how I can do this. It's like, well, the same Holy spirit that lives in me that has empowered me through this journey empowers them as well. And so, yeah. so, so but I felt misunderstood and you know, I'm like, uh, so I just said, well, you know, honestly, I have derived a lot of healing from community and other people who have shared their stories with me. Let me show you their stories. So we started uh -huh. a podcast uh -huh. and I just started interviewing people trying to broadcast to the world. Here are some of my friends who have walked through some really hard things too. And they're, and they're giving God glory through it and following after him still and God's healing them. So that mm -hmm. began and just started really snowballing this podcast did. And um, then at the end of 2018, God did something really drastic. Now at this point I had married this girl, you know, we had kind of started blending our family. She had a daughter, I had Weston, we're, you know, we're working through all this. We're still pastoring the church and God began saying, Hey, I want you guys to start a ministry. I want you to step away from the church and start a full fledged ministry out of this podcast. The podcast had begun to exceed, you know, tens of thousands of downloads every month. And we're like, well, I don't know how to. And the biggest thing we kept hearing when I would go and uh, travel and speak as a guest speaker to churches and share our story, or, you know, we would, people would write in for the podcast. We'd hear, wow, that was so inspiring, but what do we do next? And so we, so at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, we made the tough decision to step away from the church I was pastoring that we had started and start a new ministry um, to step into the kind of this new season. And that would answer that question of, okay, what do we do next? So nothing is wasted ministry is really what we do now is we try to provide content community and coaching to help people find purpose in their pain. I believe that at the convergence of those three circles, content community and coaching is life transformation. We can keep providing content, community, and coaching to people who are walking through difficult circumstances. They're going to find healing in Jesus, and they're going to be able to turn it around for purpose and mission in their own life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, so. that's incredible. That's <laughs> incredible. Yeah, and extremely helpful. Uh, there isn't anything out there that I know of that that's focused on exactly that, you know, laser focused on that. So our listeners could get uh, resources. They could get help on what mm -hmm. is, is it uh, nothingiswasted.com? Nothingiswasted.com has everything there. And we have a couple things I would point your listeners to. Um, obviously with content, we have the podcast that comes out every week. So you hear inspiring stories there. Um, and we'll be continuing to develop more and more content. We have some extra content for those people who want to subscribe uh, with like a monthly donation. There's additional content there for people. Um, there's also a, a course called the pain to purpose course that helps walk people from A to Z through their Valley. Um, so that's an option there as well. And then we're going to continue to create and develop more, you know, 
uh, blog article content, stuff like that. That's free for people to consume, but that's just the first step. That's the inspiration. I believe just like what you said, Michael, that community is a huge feature to an aspect. Uh, it's, it's imperative for people's healing. So we have just launched a platform called, called community groups and it is online community groups that are tailored specific to the trial that you're walking through. Uh-huh. So for instance, um, there, you know, we have some mutual friends, uh, the sprinkles, Cameron and Carissa sprinkle, they mm-hmm. are yeah. leading community groups for, uh, men and women who have walked through or dealt with sexual betrayal. Oh, wow. That's great. So it's, it's that specific yeah. where we can narrow it down because of the broad net that the podcast has allowed for us to, we are now able to mm-hmm. answer and respond to specific trials. And, you know, so I would fit into the community group of, and I'm not leading this community group. I have a good friend of mine that is, but young widowers under 40. Mm-hmm. Right. With a specific group for that young widows under 40 specific group for that, you know, yeah. women who have, who have faced mm-hmm. um, sexual abuse. We have a specific group for that. And so our groups keep growing and the guides continue to uh, jump on. And it's just a great platform online for people to remain as anonymous as they want to, but also to, you know, step out and be vulnerable and raw and real within those groups and share their story and, and find healing in that. Mm-hmm. So, wow. um, yeah. And then we're working right now to do a, uh, specific, we believe there's counseling and coaching is really important, both of those things. And, I, and they're different. Counseling and coaching are two different things. We do a lot of referring to counseling and, and we're developing a coaching track right now for people. So, mm-hmm. man, that's, uh, that is so awesome. Uh, again, yeah, there's, uh, there isn't anything else that I know of like that where you can go and you can, um, well, just just like what you said when when you met um, your wife in 2017, like someone relates to my story. Mm-hmm. I found someone who really understands. Me, yep, and yep. we really need that when we're going through tragedy. Yeah, in uh, thinking about specific advice in terms of pastors and some of our audiences, our ministry leaders and pastors and that. Um, so when it comes to the way that sexual addiction is handled and affairs, different things, um, the way that you would have handled something like this, if you picture this scenario, if uh, you found out that someone in your congregation, a man was addicted to porn or he had an affair, how, how would you have handled it before and what would change in how you'd handle that now today as a pastor? Yeah, that's, uh, that's such a great question. I, you know, I would like to say that I would handle it well before, but obviously when we start out in ministry and we're young, there's something about uh, when you're young in ministry, you think, you know, everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then life kind of beats you up a little bit, right? The school of hard knocks. Yeah. And, uh, I believe that, you know, when you look back on it, you go in the middle of it, you're like, man, this is not, this sucks. This is awful. But when you look back on it, you can go, wow, that was God's mercy and grace in my life to, to humble me and help me realize I don't know everything. And I really need to depend on him. And, um, you know, so I'm not sure exactly how I would have dealt with it 10 years ago. I probably would have had some, and I think it would have been maybe in two different categories. If you're talking about someone who's just like in our congregation, who's struggling with it, as opposed to like a leader who is maybe a volunteer leader or someone who is a staff member struggling with it. I think 10 years ago, I would have had a ton of grace for, and really helped walk with the congregant, the congregation member. Yeah. But the leader, I would have probably had a much more like 
black and white heavy hand of like, sorry, you can't do that if you're, you know, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say that that's how I probably would have dealt with it. Because now as we journey with so many people uh, who have walked through pain, and as I've walked through my own pain, uh, one of the things about facing pain in your life is you begin to grow from sympathy to empathy, because you can begin to see how and why um, people would resort to a number of coping mechanisms to assuage their own pain. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now, Michael, I faced, you list them all out, all the coping mechanisms that human, human beings face. I faced temptations of all of those after losing my wife, even to the worst of, I want to end my life. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. And so you can begin understanding. I think that's, there's something powerful about what pain does where you begin to empathize and understand it helps you to enter into that with other people. And so now, you know, I probably would have uh, just a richer ministry to um, an understanding of our congregant who is dealing with this still would probably have a lot of grace and, and, and probably a lot more tools to help them begin navigating and working through it. A lot more people in, in our network to refer them to such as, you know, you and Kristen and several other folks that we know that help, you know, uh, walk with people in that specific uh, genre of, of trial. But with my leaders, this is probably how, what would be different on how I deal with it. I would probably temporarily remove them from the pressure of that leadership so they could get some healing. And then I would create a plan with them to walk them through a healing and restoration journey. And to the degree that they continued to walk in that and submit themselves to that, uh, to that degree, we would begin to reinstate them into ministry. Because I'll, I'll say this, I don't believe anybody's sin or mess disqualifies them fully and finally from ministry. Because I have watched so many people who have emerged from a restorative process now with an even more powerful and potent ministry, a more anointed ministry than what was before. And yeah, they had to walk through the difficult, you know, um, uh, they had to walk through the pain they had to walk through this pain. but as they leaned into that, as they walked in that, I mean, God uses them in such a powerful way. And so I would not immediately write them off or disqualify them. And I'm afraid before walking through this, I might have, I might have said, and it's really out of my own insecurity of not knowing how to, or not knowing what to do. You know, that's what it would have been in the past. It's like, well, I don't know what to do. So it's just a lot easier to kind of write them off. Um, so I would just implore any pastor who maybe is facing that or any leader who's facing that to create a space where it is okay for people to come and confess and not be afraid for their job or be afraid for their you know, their family's livelihood, because if you create a like fear mongering type culture, then you're going to, you're going to create this culture of hiddenness. Yes, that is incredible advice. Thank you so much for, for walking through that. I know that that's going to be incredibly helpful. So your book that's coming out, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I, I think we heard you're going to, some of your story is going to be in there as well. Yeah. Essentially, it's the, it kind of walks you through the first six months of my healing journey. 
so the first chapter starts out with what happened and it reads very much like a memoir narrative. Um, and then there's flashbacks throughout every chapter of, of Amanda and I's story of kind of like meeting and, and, you know, falling in love and, um, and, and responding to God's call and stuff like that. So, but what it does is it just puts, um, what I wanted to do is write a book that shows people how I was not the author of my healing. I didn't have a strategy for it. I didn't have any kind of plan mapped out for me, but how, you know, Isaiah 30 says that though he give you the bread of adversity and the waters of affliction, the teacher will hide himself no more, but he will whisper in your ear. This is the way walk in it. And I felt like, you know, especially the first year of my journey, God just began to walk me in healing and whisper in my ear, Hey, this is the way, this is the way. And so I wanted to write a book to show people how he did that. Sometimes he did it specifically through the voice and the ministry of the Holy spirit through his word. And other times he did it through other people. And so um, that's kind of what this book shows is just how God, you know, took me on that path. Mm -hmm. Wow. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to read it. And um, we think it's going to be released in September, but that's still kind of in, yep. in the works, so, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, Davey, thanks so much for being on our podcast. It was yeah, really awesome you. to have you. Can't wait to, to read your book and uh, nothingiswasted.com mm -hmm. and the podcast. Uh, our listeners need to take advantage of the resources there. And um, thank you again. We appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much, man. It's been an honor. Friends, I'm so glad that you had the opportunity to join us for today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Davy's ministry and the resources that they offer, visit nothingiswasted.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast here so that you don't miss any episodes. And for more information about our ministry, Living Truth, you can visit us at living-truth.org.